If you're here for improv, go away. This is Comment and Improv with Anthony Francis. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Other Than Improv. I'm your host, Anthony Francis, and today I am very excited. Our guest, he is the author of How to Improvise a Full-Length Play. If you're an improviser, you should have this on your bookshelf. If you're not buying improv books, you should be buying improv books, and you should have this on your bookshelf. He's the artistic director at Synergy Theater. He's a playwright and, of course, an improviser, all the way from Martinez, California, Ken Adams. Hey, Ken. Hello, Anthony. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for doing this with me today. Uh, you are an improviser. We have had a chance to improvise together, although we didn't get to, to we get to improvise in the same Zoom room, but we haven't had a chance <laughs> to improvise together. I'm I'm going to make that right. But um, uh, yeah, it's great to see you. But we're not talking about improv today. Right. Because I no. do not like talking about improv. <laughs> no, we can talk about it. And look, if it comes up, it comes up. Uh, it's totally fine. Um, but Ken, something I want to talk to you about, because we spoke earlier about some of the things you do other than improv, and you mentioned that you were in sales. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about sales and being a salesperson and just what that experience is for you, because I know what it was like for me. And it was a just a, a terrible experience, which has turned into an, a, a, an understanding, whatever. That's my story. We're not here to hear that. Ken, what, tell me about being a salesperson. Yeah. Well, I will start off by saying I was not a successful salesperson, and ultimately I did not enjoy my career. But to put it in some context. Oh, that's, that was I, my story. So good. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I was in New York where I was born and grew up, and I was working. Uh, I know I can't say the word improviser, so I was working. You as can. A, no, you can. Right, Wait, born working, in New York, St. Mary's Hospital? Uh, Coney Island Hospital in Brooklyn, okay. New York. All yeah. right. Um, and I grew up there doing improv, stayed there until I was 33. When I, when I was 33, I moved out to California and I tried to get a day job in a temporary staffing agency so I can bring in some money as I was going to continue pursuing my artistic work. And I ended up getting a job working in-house for a temporary staffing agency called Manpower Staffing. And I had a bit of an epiphany. There was always a strange part of me that actually enjoyed working in an office. I am an, an excellent administrative assistant. If I am your administrative assistant, you will succeed. I am great at that. And I like a desk and a stapler and back then, you know, a telephone. And uh, I like working in an office. Um, and I really took to this temporary staffing thing. And so I stopped pursuing theater for the time and I dove into a career working in the temporary staffing industry. And I quickly got promoted up to be a branch manager. That is not a trick in the staffing industry because the turnover is so intense that if you just show up to work for six weeks steady, you will become a branch manager because everybody else will have quit around you. So I became a <laughs> branch manager. And then a, you know, two or three branches. But the main job description for a branch manager is sales. You're supposed to be out there selling. So that's how the sales part of this came in. And what was interesting about it is that I was 
into it, hook, line, and sinker. I loved having a career in the office, in the corporate world. Suddenly I was making a little bit of money. I could afford a car. I had just gotten married and had a baby on the way. And I loved my career in improv, but I had been doing that for a long time. I was earning very little. And now suddenly I was learning so much about the world, working in uh, the staffing industry that I never knew before. Like, <laughs> honest to God, I was 33, 34 at this time, and I really didn't know what a warehouse was. You know, like I had never been in a warehouse. I had only really? seen it on TV and in movies, but like working in the staffing industry and having to hire people to work in a warehouse, I had to actually tour a warehouse and, and see what a forklift is and pallets and all of that stuff. So, and I was learning a ton. And I was learning a bunch about business management, you know, how to budget, how to hire and fire and train and supervise, all these wonderful things. And I just loved it. And I really got some very exceptional high-level sales training from the companies I worked for. And what I discovered right off the bat is that sales, the way it's practiced now, is not the fast-talking, sleazy, manipulative version of sales that it, it used to be like in the Glen Gary, Glen Ross plays, you know, and things like right. that. Um, instead, the phrase is consultative sales. And it really is a very customer-centric, partner-focused, collaborative effort. And of course, that's very much like improv. And so the training that I had had from my work as an improviser fed into this very nicely. And it was really quite enjoyable. Uh, oh, and I read all of these wonderful books. Maybe you know them You're, if you were doing the same thing. The One Minute Salesperson um, and the 21 uh, Rules of Leadership or something like that. I forget. Or Fish, the whole Fish um, sales technique. All, all of these wonderful books. But basically what they all boil down to is um, can you discover what the customer needs? Not even necessarily right. what they're asking for, but what they really need and provide it for them. So it's not manipulative. You're not, you're not trying to increase your riches at the expense of the customer. You're trying to really help the customer succeed and just like an improv succeed along with them. And on right. that level, I loved it. I loved reading about it. I loved role playing it. I loved training it. But you know, the next step is actually getting customers to talk to you, actually getting sales calls. And that is a horrible thing to have to do. Sitting there on the telephone, trying to call people. Every other phone call they pick up is a sales rep from a staffing firm. There's a million of them. You're the 31st one they talked to today. They don't need you, especially when I was doing it. The economy had just gone south. Nobody was hiring, so nobody needed any additional labor. Um, and, and I just couldn't do that part. I couldn't get people to talk to me. So, it, so theoretically, it was very, very exciting and stimulating. Practically, I, I almost never had the opportunity to put it into practice. This is almost exactly my experience. It's so <laughs> I can't agree with you more. Um, you know, I, but I agree with you on the on that side of it where you go, I'm providing something that the customer needs. For me, it was Dale Carnegie books. I couldn't get enough of Dale Carnegie and his approach to, you know, speaking in terms of other people's interests and, you know, communicating with them on that level. I thought that was great. And then just just the idea of 
the how to get someone to buy something from you to agree to a sale felt like such an interesting challenge. I just couldn't get enough of. So there was that stimulation, but then making 400 phone calls in a week to make three appointments for the for next week to get which we called it getting porched which means you're standing on the porch and no one comes to the door to get porched by 100 percent of those interv- those those meetings and then the drive home being the saddest moment of my life the <laughs> well, most yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the other thing in the staffing industry is that when you make a sale you don't really have the product that you're selling. What what you're selling is they will interview your candidates or they will allow you to send a candidate an employee over there to do the job. But it's not as if you really have a whole bunch of employees sitting back at the office. So that's where the recruiters come in. So the salespeople come back with the order and say, okay, we need 10 administrative assistants to go work at this company for four weeks. We're all going to be rich. It's a big deal. But then the recruiters have to find those people and recruit them and test them and get them in and send them over. And more often than not, they could not do that. So we would just ultimately have to go back to the customer and say, oh, yeah, well, I'm sorry. We don't have what you're looking for after all. So even if you made a sale, it didn't mean anything until the recruiter went there. And uh, more often than not, we, we couldn't find what we were looking for. And the turnover in-house was so intense. Like the staffing industry is a terrible industry to work for. They pay nothing. Um, there's, it's just like throwing resumes at the customer, hoping something will stick or, try, or taking people who aren't really qualified because you can't find people who are and hoping the customer won't notice. It's, it's just, wow. like, and, yeah. and it's like churn and burn. They pay the internal staff terrible and they just expect them to stay there for a little while. And then they bring in a new temp and they do it again and again and again. Just very frustrating. So the dichotomy between the uh, like the paradigm of what consultative sales was supposed to be and the way we role played it in our training and and the actual work on the street in that industry especially was very demoralizing. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. That, well, let me tell me. I'm, tell me this. What is your? I want to know the the worst and the best. What is for you one of your worst? sales stories what is a, a sales horror story that you may have oh, oh god um well again think hard think yeah, hard no. i know <laughs> i know you don't think about it every night before bed neither do i but what was yeah well and, and this did not just happen once this happened more than once because again <laughs> staffing industry but you, you walk into some place you know you have to go like making cold calls and everything you walk into some place and you go talk to the receptionist and you say, hey, may I speak with, you know, whoever is the decision maker? I'm from uh, ABC staffing firm. And there was a specific one in mind. I won't say it here, but ABC staffing firm. Sure. Um, and, and then um, so she goes back and talks to somebody for a little while, then comes out and says, oh, oh yes, pl- please sit down. He'd like to talk to you very much. So I went, oh, well, how interesting. You know, he must be very interested in uh, making a sale here. So so I sit and wait. The person comes out, beckons me into the back office. Then I go into the back office. And then that person starts lacing into me because the last person from that staffing industry six months ago who came and messed everything up and never made amends for it and took his money without ever giving the service. Um, You know, so he had this like raging resentment, just waiting for someone from that agency to walk in again in order to berate them for the service he received from the last time. And I, I tell you, Anthony, that happened like three or four times that I can remember. 
Oh no, <laughs> that's not not to you, not to Ken. Oh yeah, yeah, that's um, terrible. The the best time, the best, the best yes. thing I ever remember. You know, again, it was fleeting best because the uh, the moment in the office happened where it looks like, hey, I got a sale. We weren't able to fill the order, but right. um, there um, th there is this whole concept in consultative sales in which you have to help the customer discover the need that they have. Um, and sometimes customers don't realize how much they are hurting, you know, how how much the situation there is in is causing them to have a problem. So part of the process is to through a, a questioning method, through asking questions, helping them understand just exactly how um, how much you could help them. And so there I was having a meeting with someone. And in, that was the other thing you sell to industries that you have no knowledge of, you know, uh, the st staffing agency. So you go to whatever company is on the block and you have no knowledge of their industry. Nonetheless, you're trying to convince them that you're going to find the perfect employee for them. Right? Um, so there I was having a meeting with some fellow in, in some big company. And it was some firm that I really like knew nothing about, like some biomed firm or something that I, I just knew nothing about the industry. But nonetheless, I was trained in my sales technique and I was doing my thing. And I was asking the questions and I could tell that it was going well. And suddenly this guy he had to be like 70 years old. Um, he, he, he is just like so bought into the problem I am helping him discover he has that he literally stands up behind his desk and shouts out, we're bleeding money. We need your help. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, all right, then. Yes. Now, had we been able to provide that help, it would have been a, a total right. score. Right? Would have been great. <laughs> yeah, but I got the signature on the, you know, the right. permission slip to go try. <laughs> That's the moment where you don't say anything. You quietly pull out the contract. That is the, that is something. So what what what's some sales advice that you might have for a young person? Uh, you know, I always I forget. I think like, oh, someone who's in their 20s, they got to figure it out. No, no. A lot of young people in their in the sales game don't really know what to do. What what advice might you have for yeah. young salespeople? Well, oh, gosh. <laughs> One thing, maybe what's yeah. one thing you learned in your, in your, well, I'll, I'll give you two. Number one is don't take advice from me on sales. That's number one. <laughs> number two is I really do think you have to genuinely enjoy helping people because that is how you make sales. If they, if they feel that you are just giving them some memorized spiel or, um, trying to manipulate them in any way. I mean, they've seen a million of you. They're very smart people. You know, you can't really fool them. But if they really feel that you're a nice person who genuinely wants to help them, then they work with you. And it really is a partnership. So, so that's it. I think it is not an industry for someone who is not honestly interested in other people and helping them. Right, right. Yeah, you have to be, I think, I think you don't get into sales yeah, if you get into sales for, to help people, um, I think that's that's what it is. I, I we talked about this a little bit too before, where everything is sales. Yeah. Where do you see yourself selling now? In, in what ways do you are you a salesperson now? Yeah. Well, I am a salesperson. Because you can't escape now. it. You no. Can, no one. But anyone who's listening to this, you can't escape sales. If you don't think you're a salesperson, if you work at a job. You're a salesperson, and if you are um, whatever you're doing, you're you've sold someone on you at some point. So there's no hiding from it. That's what got me through it. 
Well, that is absolutely true. And I am literally a salesperson. You know, I run Synergy Theater. And if Synergy Theater gets work, it's because I sold that work. When uh, part of the way I make a lot of revenue for Synergy Theater is I go around and I perform a children's show that I love very much called uh, Adventure Theater, libraries and after-school centers. And oh, it's that's a big awesome. Fun- yeah, yeah. I love it very much. Yeah. But- like I have to sell that service, you know, I have to, yep. I do have to make cold calls and word of mouth and references and, and all of that stuff. And I'll tell you what I've learned when I worked for other companies selling their stuff, I, w- I was always selling something that, you know, not too far under the skin. I really didn't care about. Right. Like I was right. not passionately in- connected to helping someone get the employee they need. I had another right. terrible sales job for, do you know, um, Auto Trader Magazine? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, for like six very, very humiliating months, I was a sales rep for that. And I had, oh. uh, I was selling advertising space in these in the back. trash magazines. Yep. They, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I didn't care anything about helping people sell their cars. You know, I didn't care at all. But as, as soon as I started selling improvisation, and not only that, but my ability to stand in front of an audience and please them, or my ability to stand in front of your 30 students and teach them something, as soon as I started selling something that I genuinely cared about with a delivery person, me, that I genuinely knew would knock it out of the park each time, then it became so easy because I, I really just believed what I was saying. And I just talked the way I'm talking to you now. And and people want to work with you because it's so clear that you know what you're talking about and you care deeply about it. So yeah. if, if that boils down to advice, it's like, sell something that you really love, like you really care. Like if you love motorcycles, sell motorcycles. But if you don't, then it's going to be very challenging. I've actually, that's so funny you say that because I, um, I ride, I, I had a motorcycle and uh, I sold it because I don't have a garage. And if you have a motorcycle without a garage, you know, you know the struggle. But I thought about it. I was like, I would go sell motorcycles for fun because I would just get to talk to people about motorcycles and I would just be like, Hey, it would be the most anti-sales mindset I've ever had. Be like, Oh my God, you want to look at motorcycles? Let's look at these motorcycles. Cause I love these motorcycles. Like if you can find what you love, you, if you can find that, yeah, like you're saying, you find that product or whatever it is, or that service that you just know, I can tell you for me, I sell my improv workshops to companies and plug. This is a plug. This is advertising marketing. No. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, wait a minute, Anthony. What are the features and benefits of these workshops? Well, Ken, I'm so glad you asked. There are four. No, but, but you know, I don't, I didn't think about it as sales. I just, I just love doing it. And it's like, oh, this is automatic. And that's, I think the hard part is, you know, you get into a sales position and you're, I mean, I sold life, health and variable annuities. It was boring to get there and it was even more boring to be in it. <laughs> and, uh, and it was the worst. And you're talking cold calls. It was, like I said, I did 400 cold calls in a week. I got yeah. commended for it, but ultimately found out that there's, I'd rather call the same seven people that I know need it and let them know that I'm there for them then burn through 400 people who I will never remember. But I think the secret, if I had, if I could give a piece of sales advice to anyone, if you contact someone, don't just contact them once and don't try to sell them on the first time you contact them, call them and let them get to know you spend time with them. Let them know you care. I think that's what most people, you know, you call someone, if someone came and knocked on my door today and was like, Hey, want to buy a magazine? They'd be like, no, Right. 
And then if, the, yeah. but if they came back every Wednesday, and but like now we're talking like a month later, they're like, well, I don't know about every Wednesday. I'd, they'd probably get in trouble. But you know what I mean? If they kept coming back and that, you know, eventually they're like, oh, hey, Anthony, how you doing? Just want to see if you want to get a magazine. How are the cats? It's only a matter of time before I'm like, you know what? This person obviously cares enough about me to keep coming back to check in. And I keep saying no. I think it's just a matter of time until... You know, someone says yes, which you hear all the time in sales. I'm sure you've been through a sales. Did you ever go to the sales trainings? You ever go to a hotel yeah. sales training? Th those were the best parts of the whole job. <laughs> they, they were they were in-house trainings. I worked for very large companies, so they were they didn't like ship us out to some other organization sale training. They they ran them themselves. But oh yeah, they were very lavish. We'd spend a week in Seattle, and you know, just the fun of hanging out with your friends in the company and you know, hanging out in Seattle at night and all that. But, uh, and then in these hotel, these, like I was saying, the, the, the workshops and the role playing and the strategizing and the theory behind it all. I loved all of that. I wish I could just take sales training for fun. That's almost <laughs> as fun as taking improv classes. It really is. It, it, it was, is. But it is really on some level, even if you love what you're selling and all of that, um, it is a numbers game at some point. Like you just have to get your message in front of enough people so that the small percentage that actually need it at any given time are going to be available to you. So there is some amount of getting out there. With with improv, like the things that you and I sell, I, I think we really tap into what they always tell us we're supposed to tap into, which is word of mouth and referrals. Because we go in there, we know yeah. we're going to be awesome. And we have so much confidence and, and we are awesome. And then they tell their people and, and it's word of mouth. Um, uh, you know, again, unless you're selling something that you really have that kind of confidence in and that really is that good, it's going to be hard to get positive word of mouth and referrals. Right, right. And, you know, doing what you love, I think, creates this sort of hustle. I think about when we built Improv U, you know, my wife is like, you know, you're an incredibly hard worker. I'd never really heard that before <laughs> with my name attached to it. So I was like, really? She's like, yeah. I was like, I don't know. But when you think about it, I would, you know, I, I did drop in classes, you know, I teach like three nights a week, like, you know, like putting in like three, four hours a night after work kind of stuff, like outside the day job, like you don't realize that you're putting in all this time, effort and energy. Cause you're just kind of like under the, under the power of your own sail or, yeah. or the wind well, of your own sailing analogy. Yeah, you you, you yes. know, um, like th there really is no substitute for the motivation to work hard and sell than not having a paycheck unless you do so. As, right, right. As soon right. as you are but independently that, oh, employed, that's, that's another yeah. whole topic, another oh whole my podcast gosh. about being an independent business person and the challenges and the rewards of that. But boy, I'll tell you, you know, when you work for the big companies, they're always like. You know how how do we make how do we bring ownership to our employees? How do we get how do we get like Ken in in the little Concord office to care as much as manpower care yeah. about? Oh, I said the name. There you go. To care Oops. about. I'll bleep it. <laughs> to care about that agency as much as the CEO does it, and and the answer is you're not going to because at the end of the day, whether I do sell this stuff or not. I'm still getting my salary and I'll still be kind of okay. And I still really don't care that much. But as soon as right. you start working for yourself and there is no money except for the money that you personally bring in, well, then suddenly you really start to understand in a different way, all of those things they were trying to teach you. Like it didn't make sense. Um, 
you know, call the customer just to chat. I'm sure the customer doesn't want to talk to me just to chat or whatever. But when you work for yourself and suddenly you realize, oh, I get it. Like I'm really becoming friends with these people because the relationship is so personal because what I'm selling is me and something I love so dearly that it it isn't just a customer. She's she's actually become my friend over the past two weeks. And it is fun just to chat. And if you if you pair that with your improv world, you see it, you go, oh, my gosh, I spend time with these people and they pay me for a service. But like, we're also friends. It's very much there's no there's no the line is so blurred. I have people who I absolutely love and I go to their shows, I support them and then they pay me for classes. And you're just like, what? we're just all kind of like a. it's like the it's like the the multi-level marketing, but it actually works, I guess. Yes. No, but you know what I mean? Like we, we we're a network of, of, yes. of people. Yeah. Oh, yes. no, improv. I did not know improv is not a multi-level marketing. Yeah. Well, not the way no, we no, do no, it. Right. But uh, but it does work like that. Like if you just do what you love to do as well as you could do it, it attracts people. And and yeah. that's kind of the philosophy of sales, right? You just keep selling good things and it attracts more customers. But you really have to love the thing because it, it, there are those hard times where, you know, you better call 30 people because you haven't brought in a new customer in a few months and the old ones are running to the end of their needs with you. And, you know, that that element does exist. So it's uh, it, it is hard work. What uh, what's something that you would sell to let's say you had to take a sales job tomorrow it couldn't be, uh, well, it could be anything. What, what's something that you would sell outside of anything you're selling now? Oh, that, that is a great question. And I, uh, I, I've never thought about this before until now, but the first thing that pops to my mind is some type of ed- education or training program that I would care about very much, like, like something for kids. I do love kids. I love working with kids and I love helping kids. And there, there really are some wonderful organizations like these after school tutoring places, maybe. Uh, I don't really know too much about them, but, but yeah. something that I felt was a real value, a real service to, to educating children. Uh, I think I could become very passionate about that. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. What, uh, and what do you feel about overcoming objections in the sale? <laughs> well, yeah. You know, again, with the staffing agency, the, their objections were right. There, there was really no overcoming <laughs> <I them>. <laughs> They <laughs> were like, like well, Ken, look, the service, it doesn't work. You're like, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't work. Like, you're not going to Can I have some to... of this coffee? Are you guys, can I have? You're not going to be able to find this person, are you? No, no, ma'am. I'm, no, I'm not. <laughs> Do you validate? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, overcoming objections, of course, was like a major topic in all of the sales training. And that was a big thing. And to be honest with you, I, you know, I don't know that I am expert enough salesman to really have any deep insight into that. But, you know, I certainly know that just trying to convince them they're wrong doesn't work. Because right. their, their objections come from experience. What? How, where do you? So comparing it to the the sales that you do now, do you even run into objections? Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You know, they're very soft objections. Like perhaps they don't think the the show that I would do would be appropriate for the age of their audience, or or something like that, but it's easy enough to say, well, why, why don't you just watch this video demonstration of the show? And then, you know, you, you will see children this age enjoying it. And then, you know, either either they want it or they don't. The, the thing with 
what I sell now is so many people want it that I'm really not concerned about the people who don't. Uh, you know, so that see, that's the thing I'm thinking about is I'm comparing it to all the sales jobs I had where it was like, oh, I don't know how to, you know, like these objections. But then it's like, I don't really run into that now. Right. And it has something to do, I think, with the energy that you bring to the table and the, the passion because you're so knowledgeable about it. I think that's what you run into. And I think you're I think you're really hitting the nail. You're kind of like, yeah, I don't really don't really run into it. You know, yeah, I, I they have it's it becomes less of an objection and more of just a question that needs answering. Yeah, and you kind of have that answer. Uh, the other thing is what, what we do is so modifiable that we really can create any service the customer wants within the realm of what we offer. I'm sure your workshops are like that, too. But if if I'm trying to do a show, you know, my adventure theater show for an audience, but they, they have this monthly theme at the library and it, and they really need to work in this book for some reason or another. No problem, you know, it, it is so easy to mold what we do in order to be exactly what the customer wants. And not a lot of services really are that malleable. Well, that and I think the the power of with the improv background, I mean, what are we what is our power justification? I mean, we can work something into our, you know, whatever, like, we can justify why this is here. It's the muscle we work all the time. Yeah. Oh, this is so interesting. This is so much more interesting than uh, than I thought. I, I wasn't sure how we. I'm like, gosh, how would we pair? <laughs> how would we? You know, we're all we're both improvisers now. We used to be salespeople. We're still salespeople, but maybe we're maybe we're we've we've figured it out. We've unlocked the the secret. <laughs> I think so. In fact, one of the corporate workshops that I sell is a consultative sales model using. Um, the, uh, you know, uh, the story spine, right? Once upon a time every yep. day. So, so I, I created a questioning method that I call story questions. I won't go into it now. It's been years since I really <laughs> did it. And I don't even know that I remember all of the silly terms and everything I came up with. But at the time when I was doing this more dedicatedly, I uh, created this thing called story questions, which was basically just a, a little mesh of the story spine and the questioning technique, the needs assessment questioning technique that consultative sales teaches about. And it's really, it maps up very, very uh, well. So the whole consultative sales process has to do with that. Oh, spin. Do you know about spin selling? That's uh, another one of those things out there. And yeah. spin stands for situation, problem, something with an I, and then needs fulfillment. And it's a it's a method of asking questions that is designed to first understand the customer's situation, then understand the problem they're having, then understand helping the customer understand how intense that problem is, and then providing a need. So once upon a time, every day is just like that situation. Oh, but yeah, one yeah. day is the problem because of that, because of that. So, so I created a, a questioning method that followed the story spine, and I taught it in a series of improv workshops where we started by talking about storytelling and the story spine and then mapping the questions onto them. So and, just to go, I just want to yeah. go back real quick because I know, I know what you're talking about, but for those, uh, those at home or those in the car who, who don't know what, uh, what we're talking about. So Ken, you're the creator of the story spine yeah. once upon a time. Uh, if you can go through that real quick, let's yeah. go through that. So the story spine is an eight sentence model for learning and practicing how good stories are told with a beginning and a middle and an end and how one leads to the other. So once upon a time, every day, but one day, because of that, because of that, because of that, until finally and ever since then. So you say the first half of those sentence prompts and you improvise the second half of each one. And, and that makes a little story model. And it, you, you learn that 
once upon a time every day in the beginning of the story, you establish the routine, the situation as it is now, but one day breaks the routine and thrusts us into the middle. Because of that, because of that, because of that are the consequences, the stakes get higher, the problems intensify until finally is the climax of the story where the hero is set on the road towards success or failure. And then ever since then is how the story turns out, whether the hero succeeds or fails. So that's the story's fine. Right, right. So then you now then took that and you you kind of moved it, you 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 modified it to work for a sales conference for a sales technique. Yeah, and the only reason exercise. I knew oh, the only okay. reason I was able to do that was because um, coincidentally, when I was in the sales industry, I was taught this other thing called spin selling, and spin uh. is a um, a method of consultative sales which helps you understand how to ask certain types of questions during the sales process that will help the customer understand what their situation is, what their problem is, how intense that problem is, and how they how you can help them solve it. So you see how easily that maps to the story spine just coincidentally. So, you know, let's not say I stole spin selling, but let's just say I, I heavily uh, borrowed the brilliance of this other body of work called spin selling, I took that model of questioning and I just mapped it to the story spine. And then I taught it through a storytelling perspective using the story spine as an entrance point to questions. And then I came up with my own names like, oh, you know, I don't know what they were, like platform questions and um, sure, sure. event questions and consequence questions. So um, I, but, you know, basically it, it's spin selling, but you get to practice it through improv and improvisational storytelling. And it's a great deal of fun and frankly, very effective. Yeah, that that's really interesting. Um, and I, I had no, I had no techniques on my end. I, what I would do is what I was taught from uh, my dad who taught me how to sell, which is explain the product and then stop talking, pull out the contract and start filling it out. And if they have questions, <laughs> answer their questions, never stop filling out the contracts. <laughs> um, uh, did, did your dad, was your dad like selling in the forties and fifties? Yes. Like <laughs> yes. My, my, um, that's a, that's a, that's a podcast for another time, but, uh, but I don't know, right, but that's right. so interesting. Like, like consultative sales questions, like, so what delivery date works best for you Monday yes. or Thursday? <laughs> oh yes. I actually, so scheduling appointments, I use the, the scheduling funnel, you know, the scheduling funnel, what, what works for you? I kind of, I think I did it with you. I was like, well, what works for you? Is this week, is this week good? Is next week better? What's well, good Tuesday or Thursday? One o'clock or, or three o'clock, three, you know, great. And then that's it, three o'clock on Thursday. And then you've got your appointment. I like that. I think it's a good, it's a good way to just narrow down an appointment. Well, to tell you the truth, Anthony, I was a little confused as to why you have been filling out a contract the whole time we've been having this conversation. But now just I sign understand. here, just sign here, Ken, <laughs> please. <laughs> um, well, Ken, this was great. Thank you so much um, for being here, for, for talking about sales of all things. But uh <laughs> But man, this is really exciting. I actually, I haven't been able to talk to someone about sales in a while. So it's been fun. That was uh, surprisingly fun. I didn't think I would ever want to talk about sales, but that yeah. really was a lot of fun. I'm glad. So uh, I really highly recommend everyone get How to Improvise, a full-length play, The Art of Spontaneous Theater by Ken Adams, and uh, and read it because it's such a good book. It's got so much good information in it. That's my plug for, for, uh, for that's what I'm selling today. And um, Ken, 
Uh, any anything else you want to mention for anyone listening? Oh, well, Synergy Theater. We teach improv classes online and synergytheater.com. You can find out all about it. We live stream shows every week, Thursdays at six o'clock California time, Fridays at seven on our YouTube channel and our uh, Facebook page. And we have a fun Facebook group called Talk About Improv with Synergy Theater. So oh, go on Facebook. Such, sorry, I don't mean no, to cut you right. off. But I, let, let me just tell you, it is one of the best Facebook groups out there. If you haven't had a chance to go on, I love it. Ken's always putting up great uh, discussion topics. I really, really enjoy it. So so really good stuff. Sorry. Go ahead. Yep. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> the plug very much. Uh, yeah, that's it. Check us all out. Synergytheater.com. Awesome. I'm Ken Adams. Um, I'm Ken Adams. You're Ken ah. Adams. Let me do that again. You can have it. You can have it. <laughs> I just want to be Ken. Uh, uh, thank you very much, Ken. I've been your host, Anthony Francis, and we will see you all next time. Goodbye. Bye-bye. If you're here for improv, go away. This is Other Than Improv with